finishing out a series on generosity. We've been in the last three weeks today. And if you weren't here um, two weeks ago, uh, we gave out $15,000 in envelopes to everyone that attended our service. And it was $10 bills, $20 bills, $50 bills, $100 bills. And we asked you to be good stewards of that money, to pray about giving it to someone in need and to share some of those stories. And so this past week, we got some more stories that came in. So uh, I'm going to share a few of those stories with you. Uh, One family said this, we pulled our money together as a family and donated $200 to an eight-year-old boy living in Corpus Christi with brain cancer. He's taking oral chemo medications, which will allow him an extra six to 12 months to live, which costs thousands each month for his family. Another person said, we gave our $20 to a young man who's going through a separation. He lost his job and has a two-year-old. He feels the love of God and feels very overwhelmed by it. He sends his thanks to the church for this wonderful blessing. Someone else said, I gave the money to a wonderfully kind waitress at, a din- at dinner who was so intentional and accommodating to me and my family. God put it on my heart to match the amount I received and donated it. I donated it to the San Antonio Food Bank. The donation will provide 700 meals total. Someone else, my wife and I received a total of $120 from the church. We added an additional $60. We gave the $180 total to a soldier in my unit who was struggling with finances, mental health, and homelessness. And the last person said, I am a recipient of Meals on Wheels deliveries. I donated the $10 I received to my driver who was always so helpful and friendly. And there's so many other stories that we couldn't share, but can we just celebrate all the people who went out of their way to give to people in need? And to cap off our series on generosity, I want to take a moment to talk about one of our local mission partners, SA Hope Center. They're an amazing organization that we partner with, that they come alongside individuals and families to provide grace-filled mentoring and programs so they can help them get out of poverty. If you don't know, San Antonio has the highest poverty rate per capita of any major city in the country. And so the Hope Center does a great job of helping shift the poverty rate in our city. And today, to cap off our series, we'll be donating $5,000 to the Hope Center. That makes $40,000 total that we've given given away this month as a church. So thank you for all of you who have been generous to our church so that we can be generous to the people that are in our beautiful city of San Antonio. Now we're going to wrap up our series today. And I know this is some of your first time here at church. And so going to church for the first time and them talking about money is like going to the doctor for the first time and they tell you you need a prostate exam. It's like, hold up, back off. You're going too far. I get it. So to calm all of our nerves, let me tell you a little money and church joke. Okay. So the church board in a nearby town in Texas, they met, and the board was discussing the pastor's compensation package for the coming year. They met together. They talked for a while. They finally called the pastor in, and the board tells the pastor, Pastor, we're very sorry, but we decided we cannot give you a raise next year. And he says, what? You must give me a raise. I'm a poor preacher. And they said, we know, we hear you every week. (laughs) We're going to wrap up our series, not just on money, but on generosity, because it's one of our values here at Outer West, that we are generous with our time, our talent, and our treasures. And here's the thing, I think all of us, we consider ourselves good and generous people, the opposite of a greedy person. And I think that's a reflection of us understanding that we have given ourselves over to a generous God a God who has been so generous to us, and so in return, we're generous as well. But I think for a lot of us, we've understood it, and we know we're supposed to be generous up here, but we haven't truly believed it here. And here's one reason why I know this. Barna, they did a study recently, and they found that today, Christians are more wealthy than they've ever been in history. 
But when you compare to the amount of money that Christians donated in the past, Christians today donate less money than Christians that gave during the Great Depression. And so here's a question that I would ask all of us. What is the disconnect between good people, generous people, and people who understand the generosity of a generous God? What is the disconnect? What keeps good people from being generous? And so what I'd like to do today is to give you five reasons based on some personal conversations I've had, some study, some research. Five reasons why good people have a hard time being generous. You guys ready? Here's the first reason. It's scarcity mentality. Scarcity mentality keeps good people from being generous people. Scarcity mentality is fear that you may not have enough. Now, this applies to other areas of our life, our relationships, marriages, emotions, all these things. But it's especially true when it comes to our money. And so the thought process for someone that has scarcity mentality is, well, I can't be generous because what if I don't have enough for myself? In other words, if I'm generous, I'm losing the ability to have money when something goes wrong or when I need to purchase something. So you say, I could give, but what about that car that I need or that house that I want to buy? What if I need the money for something else? What if I change my mind later? What if I'm just being emotional? Does any of this even make sense? And here's what I would say about scarcity mentality. Scarcity mentality not only reveals what you believe about yourself and about your money, scarcity mentality in many of us reveals what we believe about God. And so to help you make this point, I want to look at a story, one of the earliest stories in the Bible will be in Genesis chapter 4 for a moment. And in Genesis chapter 4, we're introduced to Cain and Abel. Maybe you've heard of their stories growing up in church, maybe you never heard of the story, and we're going to unpack it for a moment here. Cain and Abel, they're children of the first human beings we find in the Bible, Adam and Eve. And Cain and Abel are brothers, and they bring an offering to God in Genesis chapter 4. It's the first time that we see generosity as an act of worship to God. And in the original Hebrew language, Language. The word for offering is minha, which means a gift. So here are two brothers that are bringing a gift to God. And what we find in the story is that God favors one gift and rejects the other gift. And what happens is the brother Cain, whose gift is rejected, goes on this downward spiral, gets a little out of control, and murders his brother Abel. And so we're going to look at why it was important what they brought and why God rejected one of their gifts and favored the other gift. But for us to understand that, we've got to first understand who they were as people. So Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. So Abel kept flocks. Abel was a shepherd by trade, and Cain worked the soil. Cain was a farmer by trade. We continue reading, and it says this, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain the farmer brings some fruits from his garden, and Abel the shepherd brings from some of his flock. And here's what's important for us to know. Their lives, for Cain and Abel, did not revolve around a dollar like it might for you and I. They were an agrarian society, and exchange in that society happened through an exchange of food or animals or goods. And so when Cain, he brings fruits from his soil, and Abel is bringing from his flock, they're literally bringing what they own, their resources, a part of their net worth. They're bringing their income and their earnings to God. And so here we have two brothers that are bringing earnings to God. So the question is, why would God reject one of their gifts and favor the other one? Let's read this verse again, and here's the key word that I've underlined here. In the, in the course of time, 
Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The difference is right there. The difference between Cain and Abel is that Abel brings the firstborn of his flock. And this is the principle of first fruits that God establishes in the Bible. All throughout the Old Testament, you see it. People were supposed to bring their first and their finest to God. And so let me put this into perspective for you. I grew up in a farm in India. And I lived on my grandfather's farm for the first eight years of my life. And on the farm, we had cows, we had goats, we had chickens. And so we would eat the fresh eggs from the chicken or we would drink fresh milk from the cow. In fact, one time my grandfather showed me how to butcher a chicken and then we ate it. And so sorry, all the vegans in the room. That's what we did growing up. And then... These animals that my grandfather had were directly tied to his income. I mean, he, would, he could look at all these animals and just see dollar signs because they provided for him. And as a farmer, you could expect that every year, reasonably, that one or two of the animals might reproduce and add to, your, uh, add to your, uh, the flock that you had. In fact, I remember one time, my grandfather, he asked me to help pull a calf out of a, uh, a mother cow. And that memory is etched into my mind and I can't shake it. But I remember having to do that as a kid at seven years of age. And so every year as a shepherd, Abel could look at his flock and realize how much money and how much income that he had based on what he owned. And he could also assume and calculate as a shepherd, here's how many additional uh, 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 animals I would have to my flock. Here's how much additional money would come in. Now if Abel had a scarcity mentality, what he could have done was he could have waited till the end of the year. He could have waited, count all the dollars, all the animals, how many were born, how many were not born. I got to spend this money on maintaining my animals. I got to budget this just in case the economy goes down and I need the money for myself. Um, there might be a famine or a drought, and so some of my animals might die. So I need to be very calculated. It's actually wise, Abel might say, if he has scarcity mentality, because I might need it for something else. But that's not what he does, right? He brings the firstborn of his flock to God as a gift. Abel was favored by God because his gift had no strings attached. His gift to God, unlike Cain's, was not contingent on what happened after the first, not calculated, not the leftovers. Abel was favored because he gave with abandon. He gave as an act of worship and faith to God because he believed that God would provide for him. Here's how one theologian says it. If both Cain and Abel were shepherds, Cain would have sheared the sheep, taken all the wool for himself, and then given the sheep as an offering. That's the difference between Abel and Cain. Scarcity mentality is fear that God may not be your provider, so you hold on to it. It's why the writer of Hebrews says that by faith, Abel gave and brought a better sacrifice. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this passage, Hebrews 11:4. By an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It was what he believed, not what he brought, that made the difference. That's what God noticed and approved as righteous. After all these centuries, that belief continues to catch our notice. It's what Abel believed, not what he brought, that made the difference. In other words, what you bring to God reveals what you believe about God. Abel bought his first to God. He put his faith in God as his provider by prioritizing him first. Scarcity mentality keeps you from putting God first. What if I need it for this? What if something goes wrong? 
What about this and that? What if I'm just being emotional? What if I change my mind later? Here's how I would summarize the way that we're supposed to give to God. Giving first to God is believing he is able to meet your needs better than you are. It's trusting in God. So some of you may need to ask yourself, do I really trust God as the creator of the universe to provide for me and my family? It's the first reason why good people have a hard time being generous, scarcity mentality. Speaking of trust, here's the second reason why I think good people have a hard time being generous. Trust issues. I've had this growing up in churches my whole life. Not trust issues with God, but trust issues with the people that are managing the finances in the church. We've all probably been there at some point in our lives. There are too many people misusing funds, pastors in private jets and churches keeping money for themselves, and I can go on and on. But here's what I will say. It's easy for a few rotten apples to ruin the whole batch, and I think most churches do their best to steward the finances of God well, and I can't speak to every other church, but if you're part of Outer West Community Church, my goal as a pastor is for us to be as transparent as possible, especially when it comes to our finances. And if, you're, if you don't go to this church or you might move on to another church, here are some questions that you should ask the church that you go to when it comes to giving. Number one, here's a quick question for you to ask. Who gets to decide where the money is spent? Who gets to decide where the money is spent? I've been in part of some churches where it's the lead pastor, whatever he wants to spend the money on, wherever he wants to put it, that's where he goes. Here's what we do at Outer West Community Church. We have an elder board that's made up of a majority of lay elders to, to two staff members, which include myself and our executive pastor, Dan Snyder. And that elder board decides and approves our budget for every year. And then our staff are able to use the approved budget for their ministries, and now they're stewards of what's been approved by the elder board. I don't get to do whatever it is I want as a lead pastor of a church. And if you go to a church where that's how it works, that will be a major red flag. Here's a second question that you might ask. Where does the money actually go in the church? Where does the money actually go? Does it go to fund the pastor's car and his wardrobe and the other pastor's CrossFit lessons? Where does it go? So here's a graphic that we've created that shows you where every dollar that you give to Outer West Church Community goes, uh, Outer West Community Church goes to. Every dollar is invested in these areas. 12 cents goes towards worship gatherings. That's what we're doing this morning and other ga gatherings that we have as a church. 12 cents goes towards community life. That's our life groups. That's men's, women's gatherings, the 55 plus thing that we're doing. Alpha, a class for first time believers. Grief share for people to process. All that stuff that impacts our community, uh, that's where 12 cents goes. 10 cents goes towards mission. I just talked about how we give out 40, we just gave out $40,000 this month. That's part of the 10% that goes out from our church. 21, 21 cents of every dollar goes towards the next generation. That's birth, elementary, middle, high school, and young adults. We value our next generation. That's where 21 cents goes. 11 cents goes towards leadership development. That's staff, that's elders, that's volunteers. 21 cents goes towards administrative costs and facilities. Part of that is because we're in debt as a church and we're trying to get out of that. And so we would love to lower that number so that we can put some of those cents in some other areas of ministry. And then 13 cents goes towards creative arts. It's everything you see on the screen, on stage, video, social media, all that. Ultimately, every dollar that you spent is going towards our mission of helping draw people closer to Jesus and to each other through all the ministries here at Outer West Community Church. 
Now, if you want to learn more, you can email us, info at outerwest.org. Dan would just love to sit down with you guys for hours and go through financial reports and history and dollars and cents, all that. He would love it. So email us at info at outerwest.org. So scarcity mentality keeps good people from being generous and maybe some trust issues as well. Here's a third reason why good people have a hard time being generous. Perceived ineffectiveness. They're not sure. They might say, okay, I trust you, but is it really making an impact? And so I'm going to go through this one real quick because it's real easy for me to show you how effective the local church is by sharing some stories from this year alone at our church. Earlier this year, we had a woman, woman's conference, which cost some money to put together. So some of those dollars that you gave went to putting on this women's conference. Two women accepted Jesus as their Savior at that conference. They now attend Outer West and are engaged in one of our groups. Easter Sunday, we had a man who came up and shared that he gave his life to Jesus for the first time. We started Alpha. It's a class for those who may not consider themselves Christian or not sure if they're Christian or have doubts about God. We have close to 40 people going through Alpha every week right now. We had a woman that came to church for the first time in over 40 years. She restored her relationship with God since in March we distributed if you remember 5,000 bags to our neighborhood and we asked people to put donations in there and as part of that effort that we made with the San Antonio Food Bank we collected and donated over three tons of food to support impoverished families in San Antonio as I mentioned grief share we had 14 men and women going through grief share people that have lost loved ones in their life in fact two of the women that are part of that class I was told have been driving 45 minutes to go to that class because they need it and they value being in community to process their grief. A few months ago, we had 22 baptisms, and 13 of those were next-gen kids, students, and young adults. When it comes to ineffectiveness and a question of uh, how effective dollars are in a church, here's what I would say. The local church is the most effective movement in the history of the world because it's a place where people that don't know God can come and meet him for the first time. We talked about this before. I've shared this. The only thing that lasts in this room is not the TVs right here or my clothes or the stays that I'm standing on. The only thing that lasts forever are the souls of people. And the local church plays a part in helping people see that they can live not just for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, but they can live forever because there's a God who died for them. That's why the local church matters, and that's why it is effective in what it does. Henry Nouwen puts it this way. When you're generous, you're simply putting your finances at the disposal of God's kingdom. So... That might be the third reason, and maybe that helps clear some of it up for you. Here's a fourth reason why good people have a hard time being generous. They're uncertain of the purpose of giving money. And maybe this is the first time you're hearing that generosity is an important part of being a Christian. Some people don't give because they don't realize that generosity is directly tied to Christian duty. Christian duty. Generosity is a part of discipleship. You can't be a follower of Christ who has been generous to us and in return not be generous. Just like you can't be a follower of Christ and not read your Bible or spend time with God. And it's not a legalistic thing. It's an overflow of what God has done for us. But being a Christian and being ungenerous it just doesn't match well. It doesn't pair well. It's like mixing water and oil. Not a great pairing. Or bad Tex-Mex and tight jeans. Not a great pairing. Or ice cream and bacon. Although that sounds... Like I could get behind that. Or a cereal and water. If you eat your cereal with water, don't do that. Stop. <laughs> being a follower of Christ and not being generous, not a great parent. And this is what people have done forever. The people of God have always been generous to God. We find this going all the way back to the Old Testament. The principle of tithing or first fruits. And people would bring everything that they had 
their food and, uh, and food and fruits and animals, and they would bring it to the storehouses of God, of the temple, and it was called tithing. Give a tenth of all that you own to God. And so someone might say, well, tithing is an Old Testament principle. Well, if you look at the early church, and today's the day of Pentecost, after the day of Pentecost, here's what happens. It says that they gave everything that they had and shared with one another. So would you rather the 10% or everything? Not only that, in the Old Testament, we just get a glimpse of who God is. Like, we're not sure who he is. We, we can see him from afar. There's a glimpse of his generosity. In the New Testament, the fullness of God's generosity is revealed to us on the cross as Jesus pours himself out. So why would we, receiving the fullness of God's generosity in the New Testament, be stuck in the Old Testament when it comes to our own generosity? But the people of God have always been generous because generosity when it was brought to the temple or in the early church, came to, meet the people, came to meet people's needs. It's a ministry of giving that I talked about a few weeks ago. It went to the orphans and the widows and even to the Levites or the priests that were in the temples. In other words, generosity in the church simply helps fuel the worship of God. That's what it does. It fuels the worship of God. This is what Christians do. It's what they've done for thousands of years. It's why you and I are sitting here this morning. It's what it means to be the people of God, part of the community of God. And so maybe for some of us, there's got to be a shift. Are you fueling the worship of God? Or are you simply t picking and choosing what you like about different churches and going to the next one and trying another one out where the worship is great, where the speaker is not young and from India and an immigrant? Are you just picking and choosing what you like? Because being part of the community of faith, the people of God, ultimately means that you're also helping fuel the worship of God through your generosity. So let me recap why good people might have a hard time being generous. Scarcity mentality trust issues, perceived ineffectiveness, uncertain of their purpose. And here's the fifth and final reason why good people might have a hard time being generous. They have an owner mentality. And worship team, you guys can come on up as I get ready to wrap up this morning. Another reason why good people have a hard time being generous is they believe everything they have belongs to them. I love this prayer by King David in 1 Chronicles 29, 14. He says this, one of the wealthiest men that we know in the Bible, but who am I and who are my people? that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. David understood that everything came from God. The temptation for us is to think that what we have is the fruit of our own labor. I've shared this analogy before, but you and I, we didn't get to choose being born in this world. Anyone choose before they were born that they wanted to be born? No. Anyone choose where they will be born? Like I didn't sit in my mother's womb and decide I would be born in southern India. And you didn't choose San Antonio or California or Denver or wherever it is that you're from. You didn't get to choose that. But where you were born affected the families that you were raised in, good or bad, the education that you received, the jobs that you might have, who you are today as a person, the resources that you have. Not only that, the Bible tells us the skills and talents that we have to do our job is not of our own accord, but a gift that God has given to us. And so the temptation at times is for us to take certain parts of our lives, especially our money, and say, well, God has given me my life, but my money I'm going to keep to myself. And acknowledging that everything you have, including your resources, belongs to God, will not, should not bring you fear, but that should bring you freedom. If everything you have belonged to God, that should bring you freedom because now you get to partner with the creator of the universe in living your life. 
Think about it when it comes to parenting. My kids, I love my kids. My wife and I have the privilege of raising our kids. My wife and I made our kids, my wife for the most part, but we know, Scripture says, that while they were in their mother's womb, that God was knitting them together. My kids come from God. They're a gift from God. And so my job as a parent is not to ask, can my son make it to the NBA? Or can Maddie do this or that? What do I want them to do? No. It has nothing to do with me. But I simply ask God as a steward of my kids, God, how do you want me to raise my kids as a parent? To follow you, to know you. It's one of the simple prayers I pray over my kids every night. God, I just pray they would know you, like they would really know you. That's it. Same with our jobs, our relationship, and it's especially true, and why wouldn't it be true when it comes to our resources and our money? Why wouldn't we say, God, what do you want me to do with what I have? It's one of the reasons why we handed out $10, $20, $50, $100 bills to you guys. All of us felt comfortable praying over that money. Why? It didn't belong to you. And so we prayed about it, and then you gave it out to someone, someone in need. Why would it be any different for everything else that you own? And what would it look like for us to ask, not what do I want to spend my money on, but God, where does your money belong? And I love how the Bible talks about money, because it doesn't talk about it as spending or giving away or losing, that we, losing money as we might think about it. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I love this idea of sowing and reaping the harvest. I started planting flowers in my, gar uh, in my backyard a few weeks ago, and the flowers are still going, and they're blooming. And um, I want to plant some more vegetables now. So imagine I got some seed, and I went to my flower bed and my garden bed, and then I said, I should really plant this, but I need to keep these seeds for myself. Like, I need these seeds. You guys would think I was crazy. You guys would think I was being irrational. But our love for money has kept us from being rational at times and being open-handed at times because we hold on to seeds that really need to be planted and so that we can see the harvest at some point. As I close, I want to share with you the story of R.G. Letourneau. Maybe you've heard of R.G. Letourneau. R.G. grew up in the early 1900s. And he was a high school dropout. He dropped out and worked in the foundry so he could support his parents and help, help them with uh, their financial resources. And as he's in the foundry, he starts learning about machinery and how to make machinery. And he had this knack for, like, putting things together. So time goes on, and he go joins the Navy, and he serves in the Navy in World War I. Comes back from the war after his time of serving there, and he's broke. He's got no money left. But he knows he's got all these ideas of how to build things and think about machines and how they work together. And so he goes to his pastor and he says, I really want to do something with my life. I'm broke and I kind of want to start this business, but I want to serve God. And his pastor told him something that forever shaped his life. He said, God doesn't just need pastors. God needs businessmen as well. And so R.G. Letourneau, he heard that. He said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start a business around all the ideas that I have. And he goes to his wife and he says, hey, I want to start this business. I have all these mock-ups, these sketches. I'm ready to do this. And I'm going to start this business with a new business partner. And his wife asks, who's your business partner? And he says, it's God. And he starts this business. And he goes on to build one of some of the greatest earth-moving machinery in the history of the United States. In fact, during World War II, his company would provide 70% of the machinery that the Allied forces used. So he was a very wealthy man. 
But when he started this business, his wife talked to him and said this, right now, if we're really going to do this with God, we give away 10% of our income to God and we keep the 90%. What if we gave away 90% and we lived off of the 10%? And that's what he did his entire life. He and his wife lived off of 10%. So you won't find him on any Forbes riches in the country, richest person in the country list because he's given away 90% of it and lived off of 10% of it. That's the story of a man who understood he was not an owner of the stuff he owned, but a steward of the stuff he owned. And he said, the question that I ask is not how much money I give to God, but how much of God's money do I get to keep? And this is stewardship mentality. And it's the most freeing and joyful experience that you and I could experience in life. And I hope you understand the point of the series is not to get more money out of you. The point of the series is for you to understand that there is something that God wants for you. And what he wants for you is to live relying on him, prioritizing him. It's all a matter of the heart. It's why... It wasn't what Cain and Abel brought to God. It was what Cain and Abel believed about God. And oftentimes, where we put our money reveals what we believe about God. But when we participate with God in his mission here on earth, he rewards us in different ways. And when we begin to view what we have from God's perspective, we're not afraid of giving away too much. We're afraid of sowing too little seeds. That's why it's one of our values here at Outer West. We want to be a church that's generous with our time, talent, and treasure, trusting that when we have faith in God, he will provide every single, every single thing that you and I need. Let me pray for us as we close. God, I thank you for your word that speaks so clearly, for the principles that you establish in Scripture. thank you that this is not legalism. We're not doing something to get something in return. We're just recipients of something that you've done on the cross, has given yourself up for us. And out of that overflow, may we hold everything that we have open-handed. Pray for my friends here this morning. May each and every single one of us learn what it means to take a next step. Learn what it means to trust in you. May what we bring to you reveal what we believe about you. As we heard of this faithful man, R.G. Letourneau, may we exemplify what it means to be stewards, good stewards of what you've given to us. Thank you that in our greatest times of need, you have provided for us, and we trust that you will continue to provide for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said...